Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Word Community Church. How are you? It's great to have you here today on this beautiful rainy day. Yes, the Lord washes us clean once again on a Sunday. It's beautiful, right? What a great reminder His rain is. It pours down blessings, it cleans us, it provides for us. He's so good. Is He good? Is He amazing? Oh, let's bow our heads and our hearts together and thank Him for being so good. Lord, we are grateful to you, Lord. Your mercy, your grace, your long-suffering, Father. Evident in our lives and many lives around us, Lord God. And Father, we are so grateful that you continue to pursue us, Lord. Father, that although we can be reluctant and perhaps surrendering things or our time or even ourselves, Lord, you're still there, Lord, loving us and caring for us. And God, we just pray this morning as we sing praises to you and you alone, Lord God, that you would receive the praise that we have for you. Father, Son, and Spirit, our honored guest here today. And Lord, we ask for an anointing upon Pastor Frank. Lord, for those that are teaching our young ones, Lord God, and with our little, little ones, Lord. Father, we just pray that your love would be evident, that your words, Lord, would be their words to our hearts. And Father, we just ask that you would just empower us, Lord, to go forth, go beyond these walls, and loving those around us and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you always be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, this definitely is a faster clapper, right? Because he is the beautiful one. So wonderful. Wonderful, so wonderful. Your unveiling love. Cross-spoken mercy over me. I have seen the wind as earth. My heart is fully known. Glorious. How beautiful you are, beautiful one I love, beautiful one I adore, beautiful one I so much sing. Powerful, so powerful, your glory fills the sky, mighty works thank for all. How wonderful you Beautiful one, my 
You may be seated. That's Psalm 91, by the way. If you're wondering. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good, good. It's nice to see you. I see a lot of smiling faces, some guests as well. We would actually like to start off with that, welcoming the guests that are here for the first time. If you would uh, please raise your hand. We would like to welcome you. Please raise your hand. And church, let's welcome our guests. Awesome. Thank you so much. So our ushers are going to approach you. Um, He's going to come right on your right side, give you some information about our church. And anybody else, please raise your hand. Anybody else? No? Okay. So if you can fill that out um, after service, you can bring that over to the sound room in the back, and we'll give you a free Jesus DVD. Okay? All right, guys. So uh, we'll continue with announcements. We have quite a few announcements. Sound room, please uh, switch this. Change this. Thank you. All right. So Hope Moms is today after service in the parent-child room. Uh, It's bringing the hope of Jesus to moms who have experienced infertility, pregnancy, and infant loss. Sound room, please switch this. Thank you. So this week's Bible studies and prayer meetings, we have three of them, okay? Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, women's Bible study at 9.45 a.m., Friday, Spanish Bible study at 7 p.m., and Saturday is the women's prayer meeting at 8 a.m. Sign up today in the Welcome Center for the Men's Ministry Monthly Gathering this Friday, May 5th, 7 p.m., The topic for this meeting is the foundations of Christian living. So as we speak about, um, we have to come together, right, as a congregation to continue to learn about Jesus. And the men have put together this wonderful ministry. So men, we welcome you to to join them. And this requires a sign up because we are doing dinner. So awesome. Come on out. Yeah. (laughs) Have some food. Yes. Enjoy some fellowship. Yes. Learn the word. <laughs> <laughs> Mark your calendars. Life givers will be meeting on Sunday first. Should I switch? Yeah. Anyone want to buy anybody uh, want to buy a mic? Want to buy a mic? It works sometimes. <laughs> okay, you guys can hear me. Yes. No fault of the sound room, by the way. It's just the mic. Okay, so mark your calendars. Life givers will be meeting on Sunday, May twenty first. After service in the parent-child room, Life Givers is a new ministry here at Living Word uh, for those going through a life-altering, life-threatening illness or some other types, type of life-altering situation, such as marital crisis, death of a loved one, or a financial reversal. For more information, please see Diane Mueller. And lastly, youth mission trip donation opportunity. So um, if you guys don't know about this, this is going to be a a wonderful mission trip for the youth. They're going to be speaking to people about Jesus. Um, My sister is actually going to be going for the first time, so I'm excited about that. Um, We hear a lot of great things from the teens that go to to this mission trip, okay? They're going to learn about Jesus, share the word with other people. It's, um, I think it's also a, a, 
I guess, a skill set that you learned, right, to be able to speak to people about Jesus. Um, I believe they're going to be speaking to um, people on the street. I'm not sure exactly, but speak to Pastor Lou about that. It's going to be awesome. And and this is, so it's a, a, a donation opportunity for the church, okay, all of us together. Um, please consider supporting our teens to go on a mission trip this summer, July 9th through the 15th. Would you be willing to donate $5 every week for 10 weeks or just write a check for $50 or more to support our mission trip? That's something that you have to pray about. Ask the Lord what he wants you to give, okay? Because to give, right? <laughs> Pastor Sam, to give, yes. So, oh, just give. Okay, there you go, Pastor Sam. <laughs> yes, that, you know, we're not making anything out of this. This is just for the kids so so they can have the opportunity, right, because re it requires money. So $5 a week for 10 weeks or just a, a check for $50 to support our mission trip. Um, checks can be payable to Living Word with Youth Mission in the memo. You can place them in the offering basket or in the water jug in the front lobby. And thanks so much uh, for your support of our teenagers. Okay, God bless you guys. Yes, uh, and Jackie. Jackie's going to come up. Yeah. While she's coming up, how many of you would have wished you had something like this when you were young? I didn't have anything like this. You know, this is just an amazing opportunity. Ritter and I actually went on one of these, and it's really, really intense and powerful. But a great training opportunity for the kids and a great bonding opportunity. And just, you know, their personal growth with the Lord. Lou is amazing. So, uh, well, God is amazing, but uh, using Lou. So take that uh, advantage of that opportunity to support some young ones going out. Many, maybe many young ones, right? You can support. Jackie, you don't want to come up here and be a little taller for us to see you from back here over there? No, thank you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, we're going to show a quick video, so I'll talk right after that. Darkness. Good. Evil. Truth. Lies. We are engaged in an epic battle between two spiritual kingdoms for the hearts and minds of our youth. Every day our kids are bombarded with lies about who they are, who their creator is, what is right, and where their salvation comes from. But we are not meant to fight this battle alone. God, the ruler of the good kingdom, has given his kingdom keepers spiritual armor to wear. With this VBS, your kids will learn how they can be a part of God's kingdom through salvation in his son. And they will be equipped with the armor of God as they train to become keepers of the kingdom who stand strong in today's battle for truth. Huzzah! VBS theme for this year. For those that don't know, it's Vacation Bible School. So what is that? This whole church is, um, for a week, is transformed into, I don't even know what to call it. We literally take out, yeah? 
the castle this year, right? Um, but we literally take everything out. We transform it for the kids. Um, and every year is a different theme. But this year we're very excited, especially with everything going on, right? We're going to equip the children with the armor of God. So every day they're going to learn something new. Um, and these are the beautiful ladies that help me with VBS every year. My name is Jackie, Christine, and Marisol. So when is VBS? It's going to be June 19th to the 23rd. It's going to be from 5.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. So we do an after, you know, so parents can work and come after. Um, so I encourage you guys, come out, um, help. We need volunteers. It takes anywhere from like 60 to 80 adults to run this. So us three can't do it alone. So come out, help us. Um, and Christine's going to talk a little bit about why you should come out. So recently, <clears throat> some of us went on retreat and learned about our spiritual gifts. Some have taken the class and discovered their spiritual gifts in the past. And if you haven't, certainly you should look into what your spiritual gifts are. <clears throat> Our upcoming VBS has many aspects, and we could use your support. Maybe it's setting up on June 18th, which is um, the Sunday after church, before Vacation Bible School week. Maybe it's at the snack station offering water to the children. Maybe you want to be an actor for an evening. Whatever, call, whatever God calls, let us not be so busy in our lives that we can't make time for the body of Christ. We together have a chance to transform this place for the children and for the adults to feel the enthusiastic energy of stepping into the armor of God. And as Jackie said, we literally transform the whole church, which is why we only do it Sunday after church to Friday night. So you can't see it unless you're here. <laughs> In Luke 2, 4 through 50, Jesus' family goes to Jerusalem to the Feast of Passover. As they are traveling home, they realize that Jesus is not with them. They travel another whole day back to Jerusalem, and after three days, find him at the temple. They are understandably <coughs> upset, but his response is my focus, which is in verse 49. Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Will you today be about your father's business? Mm. Um, next week, we're going to be tabling at the front, so if you have any questions, um, and I want to leave you with this. I know some people come up to me and, and tell me, I don't work with kids. I don't know how to work with kids, but that's not your job. Leave it to God. Um, if you have the heart for it, you have the time, just come out and help. And like she said, if it's water, if it's saying hi to the kids as they're coming in or teaching them, whatever it is, we'll need your help. So thank you, guys. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> we have our ushers come forward? We're going to continue to worship the Lord and, and have this time of offering. And we could stand if we like. Remember always there's still offering boxes in the back if for some reason you happen to miss this time here. Kim, would you like to pray? Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. We thank you for who you are, God. Lord, we just pray, God, for these tithes and these offerings that we're placing into this basket, Lord, that you would use it to further your kingdom, God. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to bless and provide for us, and we just want to give a little bit back to you today. So we're just praying over this, God, that you would use it and that we would be your hands and your feet. In Jesus' name we pray.
Jesus, my Savior.
screen up there please you can grab your Bibles or your cell phones or whatever you're looking at the word through stay on your feet unless you want to sit you have to sit if you can't stand and you have to sit you can sit so we're going to be looking today six hours one Friday uh, it's going to be part two 
and we're going to go to Mark chapter 15, verse 20 through 32. So the word of our Lord. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to a place, Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull, and they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him and the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. And with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wigging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, Father in heaven, Lord God, you have called us, Lord God, to a great calling, the greatest calling, Lord God, Lord, in this world, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Lord God, this is our calling. This is what you have, Lord God, given to us as a mission, Lord God, to fulfill in our lifetimes here and through eternity. And we pray, Lord God, this day there is no greater place, Lord God, than being at the foot of the cross and looking at the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, dying for us, taking the nails that were meant for our hands and feet into his hands and feet and bearing the cross, Lord God, for us, that we would never have to bear a cross, that we would never have to be separated from you, that, Lord God, we would never have to suffer hell. Lord God, there at that place, I pray that you would bring us all to in the Spirit. And that, Lord God, today we would fall in a greater love, Lord God, with you than we came into this place with. And though, Lord God, that love would well up inside of us that we, Lord God, would love you and love others, Lord God. I pray this, Lord Jesus, that you accomplish this in all hearts here today at Living Word Community Church. Lord God, be glorified amongst us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Said so this is a passage that you enter into on the knees of your heart with reverence, with humility, with brokenness. It's all that God did for you on the cross of Calvary. So two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the first five key points of this uh, passage. I just want to review them with you. The first is Jesus led to the cross, right? He was led to the cross. It says, Four times in all four Gospels to understand again. He was not whipped to the cross. He was not forced to the cross. Jesus bore that cross and drove himself to the cross to die for us. With you in mind, with me in mind. He laid down his life. He said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down freely and I take it up freely. 
And that is an important foundational principle to understand. That's how great he loves you. That's how much he loves you that he would go to the cross and die for you. Second, we look at Simon, a Cyrenian, who carried the cross with Jesus. Jesus had been badly beaten, brutally beaten. He had lost a lot of blood. He's dehydrated. He's weak. And they had to basically recruit this man, Simon, who was from uh, Cyrene, which is in uh, northern Africa, Libya, to help Jesus to carry his cross. Jesus calls us to carry our cross, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The truth of the matter is, it's hard to carry your cross every day. As a pastor, people continuously come to me and they're having a hard time carrying their cross. There's something wonderful here that Jesus needed Simon to help him to carry his cross. And I have found this throughout my 40 years as I've walked with Jesus. When the cross gets heavy, he's always there to carry it with me. Always there. Always there to to lighten the burden. He is the great divine burden bearer. And then the third point we looked at was Golgotha. Right, the place of the skull. And we've been there many times in Israel, right? It looks like a skull. I also talked to you about the possibility that it was the place where Goliath's head, which was cut off by David, was placed. There's this uh, interesting comparison of Goliath of Gath, Goligath, Golgoth, and Golgotha that. Uh, that is the place. But essentially, it, it is the place of victory. As David defeated the giant Goliath and had victory, Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, and he has given us victory. Always keep this in mind. We do not fight, essentially, for victory. We fight from victory. The victory has already been won. He has already defeated the Satan. Uh, Satan. The enemy is on borrowed time. So we fight. We fight essentially from victory, not for victory. And I say this to you, in a world of victims, <laughs> a world of victims, everybody is a victim today, right? Women are a victim. Men are a victim. Black people are a victim, Right? White people are victims. Today now, the, the, new, the new victim is the white American Christian man. Do you know that? If you're a white American Christian man, you're the cause of all the problems that the world has ever seen. You know, the crazy Nazis and skinheads, they blame the Jews for everything. The Democrats blame Trump for everything. The Republicans blame Biden for everything. And uh, white men are being blamed for everything right now. And everybody likes to play the victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim because of what this person did to me or what a company did to me or society has done to me. We are not victims. We are victors in Christ. I refuse to be a victim. I refuse to play a victim. I refuse to whine and complain and murder like uh, murmur like a victim. We are more than conquerors, Romans chapter 8. And we are victors. And we will live that victory throughout eternity. It's a good idea to start living it now while you're here with your feet on the earth. He won the victory at Golgotha. And then we looked at no anesthesia. Right? He refused the medication. He refused the drink. 
He took the full brunt of our punishment upon himself, the full brunt of our sin and our suffering that ultimately separated him from the Father. He refused the anesthesia. And then the last thing we looked at was the casting of lots, the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, I was going through Psalm 22 with you, and there are, are multiple prophecies that Jesus fulfilled on the cross, 12 of them that I count, and maybe there are more. Uh, my math is not always perfect. And um, he fulfilled the scriptures. And as I say this to you, when you study Tanakh, when you study the Old Testament, and you see these scriptures over and over again, prophecy after prophecy, prediction after prediction, that were made most 500 years or more before Jesus walked the earth. I mean, think of this one, the casting of lots. The soldiers got down. They had one garment that could not be separated. It was one piece of material. So they had to cast lots. In a sense, they, they rolled dice. Um, drew straws and actually would draw rocks. That was the casting of lots to decide who was going to get Jesus' garment. Now that would have been a heck of a thing to be able to pull, pull off, right? That the scripture again, Psalm 22 predicted because he would have had to basically find out who the men who were going to be at the foot of the cross would be, the Roman soldiers, had to pay them off beforehand so that they could cast lots and fulfill the scripture. Obviously you see how ludicrous that is. And he fulfilled over 400 scriptures. About 365 of the literal predictions and then probably about 35, 40 typologies. So now we come to number six. And uh, it is 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on the day Jesus was crucified. Put on your thinking caps. Mark chapter 15, 25, now it was the third hour, then they crucified him. Hebrew time, when does the day begin? At sunrise, right? At 6 a.m. So the third hour would have been what time? Yeah, it would have been 9 And the Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. Just to uh, uncompl uncomplicate and... Um, reduce confusion. In John 19, 13 through 14, it says, Jesus was standing at the stone pavement, Gabbatha, okay, where they chose Barabbas over Jesus when Pilate gave them that choice. And it says it was the sixth hour, which really creates confusion because if it says Jesus was nailed to the cross at nine in the morning, then the sixth hour would have been 12 noon. How do we resolve that? And of course, the critics come in and say, look, you have confusion in the Bible. Your Bible is not inerrant. Your Bible is not without error. How do we answer that problem? Anyone? Lenny Ritter? Yes. John was writing to the Roman world, Roman time. Roman time is like our time. So the sixth hour would have been six o'clock in the morning. There's no confusion. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were working on Hebrew time. <laughs> it's a simple solution. Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. our time. Okay. The third hour Hebrew time. What is interesting, right? He is the Passover lamb. Psalm 118 verse 27 says, God is the Lord, he has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar. Notice this, right? They would take 
the sacrificial lamb. This is the sacrificial lamb. There were many sacrificial lambs that week for the Passover. Literally about 200,000, 187,000 to be precise, that were calculated by Tiberius Caesar. But here they would take the sacrificial lamb, he would be tied to the horn, there are three, uh, four horns of the altar, and he would have been tied to the horn of the altar at nine o'clock in the morning. What time did he die? The scripture tells us, right? It was the ninth hour. Look at Mark chapter 15, 33 through 37. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land. Right at 12 o'clock, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. The ninth hour is what? Three o'clock in the afternoon, our time. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who stood by, when they heard that, he said, look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. What time did Jesus die on the cross? 3 p.m. What time did they sacrifice the sacrificial Passover lamb who was tied at nine o'clock in the morning to the horn of the altar? The lamb was sacrificed at 3 p.m. The official lamb. The blood was taken, it was sprinkled on the four horns of the altar. The perfect lamb without blemish. The Jewish people looked to that lamb as a sacrifice for the entire people, right? To believe, to believe, to believe in that sacrifice of the lamb is to have the angel of death, right? They took, they took in the Passover in Exodus 12, they would take the lamb, they would sacrifice it, take the blood, put it on the doorframe and the lintel of the house, and then the angel of death would pass over them. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed Christ Remember that one, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Jesus is our Passover lamb. When you put your faith in him, the blood covers your life. It covers your soul, and the angel of death will pass over you. He will pass over you. The Christian will never suffer spiritual death. Physical death is separation of the body from the soul. Spiritual death is separation of the soul from God. And we will never suffer that spiritual death because he is our Passover lamb. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, number seven. The king of the Jews. So there was a sign. It was actually placed around his neck and over... Uh, his head on the cross, and it, it occurred in the, the language of the Hebrew people. Okay, so you have Hebrew Aramaic, and then you had the official language that it was put in of the Roman Empire, that's Latin. And then you have the common language of the entire region, and that was Greek. And it tells us in verse 26, and the inscription above his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. The, the, the title for this sign, the Romans, they called it a titlis. 
And um, you ever see, if you play golf, the tightless ball? It's basically the same, it's, it's it, you know, the name, the name of the name. And um, they would put the accusation of the criminal on the sign. The accusation they put was the king of the Jews. Jesus wore that sign around his neck. They don't usually show you that in the movies or they don't show it to you uh, in the pictures. But he would have had that sign around his neck as he would have left, right, and walked via Dolorosa to Golgotha, where he died. Now, it's interesting. The Passover lambs, many of them would be brought up. People would buy the Passover lambs during Passover outside of the temple or they would get ripped off buying them from the priests inside of the temple. But um, the family that would bring up the lamb, the father would put a little sign around the neck of the lamb just so that God knew that that lamb that was to be sacrificed was for his family, as though God wouldn't have known. But um, they would do that just to be sure that God would count that sacrifice for the family. And on that little sign would be the name of the family, I want you to think about the name of the family and the name that was on the sign that hung around Jesus' neck and above him, right? The king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. So in John chapter 19, verse 19 through 22, it says, now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. By the way, Pilate did this to spite the Sadducees, because he was very aware that they had basically forced his hand and manipulated him and put him between a rock and a hard place so that Jesus, again, would be crucified. So he, he did it out of say. Some people say he knew what, exactly what he was doing. I don't know. There's a lot of speculation about Pilate. But I want to see, show you something interesting about this. So in Hebrew, okay, the name that God gave to Moses, and God made this very clear, my name is Yahweh. Yahweh. In Hebrew, Yahweh. So he called himself Yahweh. Now, the, the Jewish people, they believe that the name of God is so sacred that when they write it, they leave out the vowels. So you find an Orthodox or an ultra-Orthodox Jew, they will never write out the name Yahweh with the vowels. So they remove, they remove the vowels. So in, in English, it would be instead of Y-H-W, oh, I'm sorry, Y-H-W-E-H, it would be Y-H-W-H. Because the name, it's really a beautiful thing. It's so sacred that God is so sacred. Such reverence, a beautiful thing. Now I want to show you something again. The sign that was put above his head. The rabbis, and some of you may be familiar, the, the rabbis, after the Babylonian captivity, Babylon was, was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Jeremiah predicted 70 years later the Jews would return back to Israel. So they were dispersed. And you can read about the return. And it was 70 years later. You can read about it in Nehemiah. You can read it about it in Ezra. So during that time of the, the Babylonian captivity, the rabbis, they began to search the scriptures and they began to look 
And, and they'd look at the first letter of each word in a passage, and they were looking, they were looking for meaning. So you know what an acronym is. I, I covered that a, a few months with you. So Psalm 119 is the Hebrew alphabet. Each little passage that you see in the psalm it begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So they, they would look, they would look, they were, aware, they were aware of these acronyms that occur in Scripture. So, by the way, you, you always read Hebrew from right to left, right? We read from left to right. So, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews, Hebrew. Yeshua, ha-Nazarene, v'melech ha-Yehudim. If you take the first Hebrew letter of each one of those four words, it spells Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. Isn't that cool? Yad, Hev, Vav, He in Hebrew. I want to show you another interesting thing. Hebrew alphabet. Most alphabets have symbols. Some people have a hard time through you know, centuries. You know, people, people learn much through pictures. People learn much through symbols. So the Hebrew ha- alphabet has a symbol for each letter. And if you, you take the Hebrew symbols, Y-H-W-H, so you, you have Yod, that's armor hand. Hey, behold... Okay, occurs twice. And then you have vav, nail or peg. Hand, behold, nail. Isn't that neat? Amazing revelations. Coincidence? I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. And providence is God's guidance, and you see it in the Bible, and I believe it in my life, that God has guided my life. He is, and in fact, very, God said something to me very clearly yesterday morning in prayer. He said, grow where I have planted you. Other opportunities coming my way these days. And he just said, grow where I've planted you. And I take that as he has me right where he wanted me to be, where he knew I would be. And 40 years ago when I gave my life to him, he knew that on this date I would be right where I am doing what I'm doing. So instead of struggling against the things going on and being unhappy and just simply grow and flourish where I've planted you. That's providence. And I believe that's what you have here. You have providence in the tight list that was placed above Jesus' head. Okay, crucified between two thieves. Between two thieves, Mark chapter 15, 27 through 28. With him they also crucified two robbers. One on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Two robbers. The word, the word is lesties. It, it's more of a revolutionary. They weren't petty thieves. They were like Barabbas. They were revolutionaries trying to overthrow the Romans. Probably killed some people. In Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9, it, it, again, it, those scriptures were predicted that 
Messiah would die with thieves. And you have Isaiah 53, 9, and they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death, that's speaking about Joseph of Arimathea and the grave that uh, he was placed in, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. By the way, I'll say this about, we'll look at this in a few weeks. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, by the way, they, they came out of the closet. They were, they were closet Christians. You ever see closet Christians? They won't talk about their faith. They're embarrassed. They're embarrassed to witness to people. And people say, are they truly Christians? I, I don't know. But apparently Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were closet Christians, or maybe they came to faith in Jesus Christ. But at this point, when Jesus died on the cross, what did they do? They went to Pilate and they asked for the body. They came out of the closet. I think that they knew. They knew the scriptures. They knew Isaiah 53 well, well that Messiah would die. And while they're doing that, while they take the body and they bring it to the tomb, they had to be thinking, we're fulfilling scripture. It had to be, had to be you know, a, a dreadful thing, but also a, a very exciting thing. In Isaiah 53, 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with transgressors, and he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Luke gives us a, a, a detailed picture of what the two thieves were saying and how they were conversing with Jesus in Luke chapter 23, 39 through 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, notice he recognizes that he is the Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom that he was the king, the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, Surely I said to you, today you will be with me in paradise. On the cross, on each side of Jesus, is a picture of all humanity. All humanity. And, and that goes for all humanity. Everyone who has ever lived in history, everyone living on the earth at this time, and every one of you sitting here, and anyone watching this, on, a, on television or the internet, it represents all of us. You have, you have two thieves. They're both sinners. They're both guilty and they're both contemned. One of them is unrepentive. No repentance. You know what repentance begins with responsibility. You must take responsibility for your sins, for your life, for your actions. He refuses to take responsibility, and he is unrepentive. In verse 40 through 42, you have the repentive thief. They call it the penitent thief. Some people say he's the good thief, the wise thief, the grateful thief, the thief on the cross. He's a sinner too. But he's repentive, and he believes in Jesus. I had an uncle who was a mobster, and um, when he died, 
the Catholic Church refused to do his funeral. And um, it was interesting, while he was a mobster, he used to baptize children from the neighborhood. This is like, if you've seen The Godfather, he would baptize the children in the Catholic Church. He was like a, a hero in the community. But then he did something with drugs, and the Catholic Church disowned him, and then they wouldn't do his funeral. So his family called me and said, would you do uh, his funeral? I said, sure. I went in the city with my father, and the um, place was filled with mobsters. And they were not only in the place, about 300 of them sitting there, they were, there were I'd say another 200 outside. They came to hear me preach. <laughs> and I preached on the two thieves on the cross. And what I said to them is, every one of you here today are essentially on the cross on each side of Jesus. And either you are repentive and put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, or you are unrepentive and you will end up in hell. And that was the, you know, the major point of my message. But again, it's, which is, by the way, one of my cousins came up to me. I won't use the words that he used to me. He said, you have, um, you have a lot of courage and boldness to be able to say what you said. What I said, what are they going to do, shoot me? So what you have here again, let me stress this to you. Hell will be filled with unrepentant sinners. Heaven will be filled with repentive sinners. This is an example, again, of two men, one who refused to take responsibility for his sins, and he refused to repent. And the second man who took responsibility for his sins, he repented, and he put his faith in Jesus Christ. One, again, you will be with me in paradise. The other, you will be in hell. Both are sinners. All humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One is self-righteous. The other essentially became Christ-righteous. Hell will be filled with self-righteous people. Heaven will be filled with Christ-righteous people. We like to look at people and um, demonize them, right? Those evil Democrats, they are so evil. And the Democrats look at the Republicans and say, those evil Republicans, they are so evil. And the conservatives look at the liberals and they say, look at those evil liberals, look at how evil they are. And the liberals look at the conservatives and say, look at those conservatives, how, how evil they are. And the protesters, right? They're, pro they're righteous in their protests against the evil people. The, the truth of the matter in, in all of this, we are all sinners. Sometimes the, the worst, most self-righteous people are right here. I have found far more self-righteous people in the church than in the world. And by the way, Jesus found the same thing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people, were the most self-righteous of all. They didn't need to repent. They were just so right. They didn't need to turn away from their sins. They didn't need a Savior. They didn't need a Messiah. And it was the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners who were coming to Jesus because they knew that they were sinners. 
and they put their faith in him and they received his righteousness while the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes rejected it and end up in hell. But all humanity, all humanity is on the cross next to Jesus. The unrepentant, self-righteous people. Right? I'm good. I'm good. You ever see people, I'm good? You know what Jesus said? Only God is good. And everybody's evil. Now, there are different degrees of evil. But if we're honest enough, we'll all admit that, hey, there's something very wrong in me. There, there is something very wrong with me. There is this bent towards evil. After 40 years walking with Christ, it's still there and it won't be removed until I go home to be with him. I need a savior. Oh, pastor, your religion is just a crutch. Man, I don't need a freaking crutch. I need an ICU unit. I need a savior. And the people, again, who are self-righteous, who reject that, they will go to a place where there are loads of self-righteous people who felt they didn't need a savior. All right, number nine. The mob. The mob. <laughs> Mark chapter 15, 29 through 30. And those who passed by blasphemed him, waging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself <clears throat> and come down from the cross. I want you to notice they're passers-by. They're, pass they're, they're just kind of passing through. And they throw in their two cents. They throw in their opinion. They're, they're, it says they're wagging their heads, but they're passers-by. You ever get people like that in your life? They're, they're passing by. Right? They, did, they, they don't really have any, have any major impact, but they're going to pass by and they're going to give their little opinion. You know, they're going to give you a little opinion maybe about you, about your faith. They come through here, they're going to give their little opinion about, about the church. And they're ignorant. They're ignorant. See what they're, they're, they're people, they're listening to hearsay. He said he would tear down the temple. They weren't there when he said what he said. <clears throat> But they, they're people who, they, they, they listen, you know, there's a lot of yappers, right? My goodness, we live in a world of yappers. They're yapping all the time, yapping, yapping, yapping. And they listen to the yappers. And they hear this, that, that he said he was going to tear down the temple and raise it in three days. And they're, they're totally ignorant they never investigated it. They're just, they're just passing by. Because what Jesus did say in John 9, uh, 2, 19, verse 22, that they are referring to, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. 
Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Again, they knew nothing about what he was saying. They were listening to rumors. Listen, be careful listening to the yappy rumors. Be careful. Could lead you completely astray. Jesus follows verse 22 in John by saying this. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Many. Were they true believers? No, they weren't. They, they were people who were believing, they were believing, right? And essentially, they're miracle hunters, sign hunters. If I can see a miracle, if I can only see a miracle, then I'll believe. If I, if I could see a sign, then I'll believe. No, you won't. Jesus made this so clear in Luke chapter 16:33, I believe. Reader, don't quote me on that that if they do not believe in the word of God, they will not believe even if someone is raised from the dead. So then he, he goes on, he says this, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. I'll tell you, that's a passage I take to heart. Very careful as I have grown old of who I will allow into my life who I will allow to speak into my life and who I will give my heart away to. It's a good lesson. You've got to be careful. When people come and sometimes my wife does. I don't, I, don't, I don't look at a lot of things that I do on the internet. And uh, my wife comes to me and says, oh, look, dude, there were 500 people who listened to them. I, I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. When somebody comes to me, Pastor, that was the greatest message that, that I've ever... And then I'm like, well, I guess the message last week, I guess that really stunk. <laughs> I, I don't care. I only have one critic. I really, I play to an audience of one. Took me a while to learn this. I play to an audience of one. That's right. To God. Save you from a lot of confusion and pain. The mob. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of... You know, I've had people at times like, Pastor, you are the greatest. You are the most wonderful. You know, just, man, you, you, you know, your farts don't stink. And when you burp, it doesn't smell. I mean... I did say fart. Do they say farts in church in North Carolina? <laughs> and then you say something that offends them. And let me tell you something. Crucify him. <laughs> Crucify him! <laughs> the mob. Finicky, fickle, <clears throat> listening to gossip. Last, number 10, the chief priests. Wicked men. Again, there are different degrees of evil. These, these guys, I mean, they are wicked. They are self-serving. 
Uh, they cling to their power, their positions, and their titles. And they use the temple, they use religion for their own gain. And it says in Mark chapter 15, 31 through 32, Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. That's exactly why he's on the cross, <laughs> to save others and not save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And that is why he did not descend from the cross, because he is the Christ, the King of Israel. And even those who were crucified him reviled him. So you have here, essentially these are the, the priests, these are the Sadducees. They hated Jesus with a passion. Because he messed with their fame, their fortune, and their power. He exposed them. He exposed them as breeding greedy, money-hungry hypocrites who would use the temple to get rich. He disrupted their fortune by going into the temple and casting out, right, the money changers and the temple sacrifice sellers. And they messed with their power. You see, they, they were all about titles. See, be careful with this. When you have to attach yourself to a title, because titles, titles are meaningless to God. I, I, I have a title, pastor. I want that pastor name. Or reverend. I cringe when I have to do something in one of these towns and I'm asked to speak. And it, the honorable reverend Frank Bolala. <laughs> Pastors take care of the sheep. They get dirty, they smell, they clean up the poop. It's a humble title, but it's nevertheless a title. Don't hunger for titles. Hunger for character. Hunger for integrity. Hunger for substance in your, in, in your soul. But these guys, these guys are just fakes. They're, they're religious fakes. And it's, it's just, it, it, it's, it's horrible. What they were instrumental, right? They really were, were tools in their evil, putting Jesus on the cross. But they're, they're evil. So here's our, here's our wrap-up, our key application. Again, from taking this entire passage in Mark 15, six hours that Friday, God incarnate, the word that became flesh, Yahweh, Elohim, the creator, the sustainer, the Lord and author of life, is hanging on the cross that six hours as an atoning sacrifice to cover our sins. To believe in him and to receive him is to receive that covering, that covering over every sin that we have ever committed he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What did he experience as horrible as the physical suffering was on the cross? He suffered hell on the cross. He suffered separation from his father so that we would never have to be separated ever from our heavenly father. Above, right, his holy father holy and pure, below sinners. They're all sinners. Again, of dis different degrees. 
But he hangs there between a holy God and sinners to reconcile us to him. He is the bridge. What he did on the cross is the bridge for anybody to be able to come into a relationship of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy with God the Father. He cries out, it is finished. You know what that means? That means the debt has been fully paid. Think of every sin you've ever committed, every lie you have ever told. Anybody here ever tell lies? (laughs) That is why heaven will be filled with the children. Blessed are the little children, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Every evil thing we've ever done, every evil thought, every evil word, every evil deed, it is finished. Those those sins are gone. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the way God looks at you now, he sees the righteousness of Jesus that has been given to you. For Jesus has taken all of your sins upon himself. How's that, huh? And then just last, right? What he did on the cross, who he is, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. He didn't say he was a way. He said he was the way. And who he is and what he's done is a way, the way, the only way for us to come into a relationship of forgiveness, of grace, of love, of eternal life forever and ever. Amen. That's the gospel. I mean, the entire Bible is the gospel. That's all we preach here is the gospel. But that is, that is kind of the gospel, I would say, just with clarity, tightness in a nutshell. Confess to Jesus that you're a sinner. Repent. Take responsibility for your sins. Put your faith in him that he is the son of God. That he died for you on the cross. That he was raised from the dead and you can receive salvation and the gift of eternal life. Everybody understand that? That's the most important decision you'll ever make. That's the decision that will determine your destiny. It is the decision of decisions. If you have never done that, or maybe you're unsure, then right now, the day is the day just to say to God, God, forgive me of all my sins. I put my faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And I take him into my life. You do that sincerely. You do that from your heart you will receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And you have that opportunity to do that right now as we wrap up service. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift, the greatest gift ever given, which is the gift of your son. And we thank you, Jesus, that you went to that cross with us in mind. You laid down your life freely, Lord, as the atoning sacrifice, the covering for our sins. And you hung there six hours that Friday, Lord, And then, Lord, you said it is finished.
and you completed the work of salvation and of our salvation. And I do pray, Lord God, all here today, if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, you have ears to hear, you have eyes to see, and you have seen this very clearly, then give your life today to Jesus, for he gave his life to you. Put your faith in him, turn from your sins, confess them, and take Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. You can stand with me. And as we stand, the altars will be open. If you would like to come forward for prayer, you're welcome to. And I'll say this to you. If you prayed, if you prayed that prayer this morning to take Jesus into your life, come up and kneel before him. Don't be embarrassed. He wasn't embarrassed for you.
May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, Yahweh, may he go with you all. May he watch over you, protect you. May he guide you. May his hand of power be upon your life. May the Lord God bless the work of your hands, your marriages, your families, your children. May he just give you strength to live each day for his glory. That Lord, our God, reveal to us so wonderfully and beautifully through his son, Jesus. May he go with you all. Amen.